This is a Restless Interview. Welcome back to the Restless Podcast, a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I am your host, Matt, joined as always by Pastor Michael, and we are broadcasting in full Technicolor today. Pastor Michael, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. I am glad that I don't have to be the only one talking this time uh, with you because we have a guest. That's right. Today, we are doing an interview, and we are joined by Luke Schmelzer, who is a member of the One Seven Church. He's 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 a young guest, folks. He's planning on attending Mid American Reform Seminary to train for pastoral ministry. Uh, we found him because he's the host of the Steady Anchor podcast, and he's the founder of Doctrinal Discipleship. And he hopes to eventually be a Reformed Baptist Church planner. Luke, welcome to Restless. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here and have a conversation with you today. Well, Luke, did you know there's something extra special about you coming on our show today? I did not. What's well, special? You are the first Baptist on the show. <laughs> what are the odds? Sorry, are... sorry to break your streak. <laughs> I know. Well, welcome. We, as, as we want our Baptist friends to know, Baptists, we love you. Love to have you on the show. <laughs> Luke is our, our proof of that. Yeah. We're the bearded cousins that you got to invite over for Christmas, even though they're kind of weird. Yeah. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. And we will not pull out the wine until you leave. We promise. Oh, thank Um, you. Thank you. So, yeah, we we just got connected with Luke through social media, and we thought it was a great opportunity to talk to somebody else. Uh, Just hear another story of a person coming to the Reformed faith. Luke, um, we heard your bio. Tell us just a little bit about yourself, and then we'll kind of hear your story. Um, so my name is Luke. Again, I'm 22. I'm a Bible college senior. I'm engaged to the lovely Miss Jess. Um, I grew up in Joliet, Illinois, third child of professing Christians. Uh, it's an interesting story. There's a lot of, of weird overlap in my backstory that I always love telling about. So uh, my mom got saved out of an incredibly liberal United Methodist home. So her father was a UMC minister for 40 years and did not believe in the divinity of Christ or the resurrection or the personality of God. So the kind of kind of place where you might hear them say <laughs> amen and a women. A women. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Would not be surprised. But he went to Yale in the 60s and that's just where he picked it up. So so very liberal. And she rebelled out of that, was not a professing Christian. And then my dad was the son of a very conservative Roman Catholic. Um, and so he also was kind of a rebellious child, didn't really have a faith of his own. Uh, they both got married, came to faith in Christ at a Baptist church, Southern Baptist church, had my brother and my sister and then me. Um, I'm actually the only one of my immediate family who is not baptized as an infant. So sorry, guys. So I grew up in this family. We started attending a, another Baptist church in Shanahan, Illinois, when I was two or three, just because we knew the pastors there. Um, so I grew up in a church environment. My parents were always very involved in the church, very uh, dedicated to serving it. But uh, our Christianity basically stayed a church, if that makes sense. So we never read our Bibles together or prayed as a family. Um, we never had spiritual discussions. I was never encouraged to make my faith my own. And that's not to disparage my parents. They were dealing with a lot of things um, and were in a very different place. Uh, they eventually... Uh, got divorced when I was young. And so when I was about seven or so, 
In first grade, I started attending a private school based out of the church that we were attending. And, you know, they're kind of a troublemaker, you know, third child wanted the attention. So I would, very ADHD, very impulsive. So I remember one day I was in the lunchroom and another kid was like, hey, I bet you can't touch the ceiling. So I was like, bet. And I jumped on the table and I punched a ceiling tile. <laughs> so I get sent to the office and the youth pastor comes in. He's asking me why I'm always looking for attention. And then he takes it into a gospel presentation, basically. And I think, I know if I agree to this, people will be happy and I probably won't get in trouble. So I follow him along. I pray the sinner's prayer. No idea what it means. No idea what, what I'm saying. Um, but then I'm like, all right, I, I guess I'm a Christian now. So then like a kind of a semblance of faith, um, an outward form maybe, but then with my parents separating the year that kind of broke it for me, you know, I'm, I'm asking God, Hey, I prayed this prayer. Why aren't you making my life so easy? Um, and so even as like a young child, I start to really wrestle with Christianity, start to get very angry with God and with my family, become very inwardly turned, very self-focused, very selfish, which led, which led to a lot of, of secret destructive sin. Um, it wasn't until junior high when I was attending youth group, because that's what you do. You attend youth group as a good church boy. Um, but it was in that youth group in junior high that I, I encountered the true and living God. With a gospel presentation, I, I realized my own sin, my own selfishness, and what Christ had done for me, the fact that he had gone to the cross to bear the punishment that I rightly deserved. And through no doing of my own, could I be redeemed for that through only believing in him and trusting in him that the work that he has already done is sufficient. And so I, I placed my faith in Christ, obviously looking back, it was because he had given me a new heart that saw my need for sin. He had given me the faith to trust in him. And so I, the gradual process of sanctification, life begins to change. Uh, my relationship with my parents and my siblings starts to mend and I uh, become somewhat of a leader in our youth group, um, become the chaplain of our private school in our student body government until about 10th grade. And at this point, both of my parents had remarried. So I have a stepmom and a stepdad, but uh, my stepdad was a recovering alcoholic he had been drinking basically his whole life and had uh, a lot of psychological issues because of that. And he came to a place after they were married where he said, I've, I've beaten alcoholism, right? I can, I can control it now. And so he starts drinking again. And it became a couple beers a week, which turned to a couple beers a day. And that very quickly became dangerous for me and my mom. So we ended up having to leave. Um, we started staying with family and friends from church. He uh, stopped paying rent and disappeared. So we ended up losing our house and ended up living with family and friends for about a year and a half. And we haven't really heard from him since. It seems like he found a place where he could get help. Every once in a while, I pray for him and just hope that God will bring him to the end of himself and hope that his, his profession of faith is true, but it's in his hands, not mine. So that was obviously a very difficult time for me. Uh, that was incredibly rough, but in the times of greatest adversity uh, is when you can greatly feel the upholding of Christ. It's when 
it's when you are pushed into the dirt that you are able to worship at the end of yourself. And so I, I started to grow deeper in my faith and my trust in God and my confidence in him and, and seeking him and his word. I started binging sermons and stuff. There was a summer we were staying with my aunt and I didn't know anyone in the area. I had nothing else to do. So I would just read my Bible and pray and play Minecraft while listening to Francis Chan sermons. And so I did that for a whole summer, listened to just about every Francis Chan sermon on YouTube. I started to uh, come back in as kind of a leader among our youth group and the young adults group in church and uh, was getting to the point where I wanted something deeper in in substance, in discipleship. So I grew up in a a kind of, in a very pietistic Southern Baptist church. All the messages were fairly topical. They would pick a verse and preach about how it applied, how to love your neighbor better, how to be a better husband, a better wife, a better friend, a better Christian, and all this. Um, so theology was not a deep consideration. It's um, interesting. Pra yeah. Praise God for your story. Praise mm -hmm. God for the way he saved you. And protected you and your mom. It is interesting, though, as you began um, looking for something deeper, it sounds like you weren't finding it in your local uh, setting, your local yeah. church. So we did a lot of very good things in our community, and there were people coming to faith in Christ, but there was no real depth to what it was. There was no real consideration to where to go beyond that, right? So you have people come in, you have them pray the sinner's prayer, you plug them into a ministry, they start serving somewhere. And maybe they start doing private time devotionals and join a Bible study. But theology was not a consideration. Um, I never heard the word theology until I was in early high school. And so um, I, I started to look for something deeper. And it was through a very strange turn of events. This is one of my favorite parts of the story to tell. To tell. So in senior year of high school, I was dating a girl from a family of flat earth King James only as Pentecostals, um, which what is a such mix. a yes. Let me just say, <laughs> flat earth only King James only as Pentecostals. We love you. I'd love to have you on the show. We'd love to have you. I'd love to show you a globe. <laughs> Please, this, this is a good, this is an interesting part of the story. This is fascinating. So... I was in that place and the relationship obviously didn't last long. It didn't go very deep. It was one of those high school relationships where it's like, I'm single, you're single. I don't want to be. So let's start dating. Right. Um, so it ends up ending. Uh, and I start to get into more open conflict with this family just because they're, they're leading in the church. They are leading in worship and teaching some of the youth and stuff. And it's becoming this controversy over whether the Bible teaches that the earth is flat or not. And so me not having the tools to dive into scripture or anywhere to turn, like I had never opened a commentary. I didn't even know what that was. Uh, so I just start looking up stuff on the internet. I start Googling around, you know, what's, um, how does the Bible teach the shape of the earth and random stuff like that? Start dealing with kind of cultic personality and uh, Pentecostalism, just trying to figure out what I could even start with. And uh, I start finding stuff about apologetics from guys like Jeff Durbin and James White. Mm -hmm. Now, Calvinism had also been somewhat of a controversy in our church recently. So, this was the first time that there was someone who was a Calvinist that started attending and started asking questions and causing a little bit of a stir. 
And so I'm with, uh, I'm with the other people who are leading the youth group. I'm with my friends, Josiah and Rachel, who are a few years older than me. And we're at a Portillo's and we start talking about, he goes, Josiah goes, have you ever heard of this Calvinism stuff? And I'm like, not really. Like, what do you, like, I, I had heard stuff about like these predestination people and how crazy they were. Uh, because the yeah, people, they are the person just absolutely crazy. Yeah. Just way out there, right? The, the uh, flat earth King James only Pentecostals don't hold a candle to the people <laughs> who believe God has foreordained all that whatsoever yeah. comes to pass. Yeah, of course. So in this church, believing that the earth was flat and all modern translations are demonic, that was okay. But, you know, believing that God is sovereign over salvation, that's weird. That is a bridge too far. <laughs> exactly. Taken- yeah. So we're talking and he he starts Googling stuff about Calvinism and he reads through the five points. And I go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Who would ever believe that? Um, and our friend Rachel's there and she had bitten the bug through Mark Driscoll a few years before. And so she goes, I don't know. I feel like you're dismissing this too quick. I feel like they could point to some good scriptures to defend this. And we blow it off. We're like, no, nah, that doesn't make any sense. So I start listening to these videos and stuff. And the one that that tore my heart out of my chest was Paul Washer's shocking youth message where he's at this this youth gathering conference that had basically defined my upbringing. Because at this point, now I'm like, I've exhausted Francis Chan. So I'll just look for someone else who's exciting. So I start listening to Stephen Furtick and Carl Lentz and all these really trendy new guys. and so I hear Paul Washer and he's preaching about our call as Christians is not to be like the world, not to be like these popular celebrities. It's a call to die to self and look like Christ. And everyone starts clapping and I'm like, yeah, you go. And then he gets quiet and he goes, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. And then my heart just bursts out of my chest like, oh, you and how and many I just, other people it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing Honestly. how many people i've met who are like this is this is what really did things for me yeah but that was my moment and i was like that is the most backbone that i've ever seen in a preacher mm-hmm. now are you saying that paul washer is not like super cool hip relevant like <laughs> carl lentz i mean you know he didn't he was wearing his khakis and a, an Oxford button up. So it's a little less cool and trendy, but you know, good. <laughs> I, I hear I that think, Paul Washer still listens to rap music. So he's yeah. probably cool with the kids. I think that <laughs> um, there are some things uh, as you talk about becoming the influences that even though you uh, enter Reformed theology, I'd say after kind of this movement is no longer like what it was when, when Michael and I were joining it, right? What I, I found striking is one, I love that um, by the time you guys, you were getting into it, it had turned into memes, which is just the <laughs> yeah. best, like that yeah. it was just, I mean, you know, I, I, it's it's great. It's just, right, it's another iteration of it. Yeah, I reforming think the has, internet one meme at a time. That's, my that's right. It has the <laughs> the same hallmark of this, like this really weird thing in Christianity where you kind of graduate up churches you know, I kind of get saved in this church. I move to this church and go on. And obviously, as 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 I will ask you in a second, how you came to a more confessional view. Confessionalism kind of fixes that. Um, thank thank God. But the other thing is, of course, the the Paul Washer clip that was preached. I'll look this up in a second. Right, probably fifteen years before you listen to it. 
Yeah, and that I think is it was a, like 2003. Yeah, <laughs> it was a huge catalyst for a lot, right? It was preached in on its way to the heights of the new Calvinist, right? That was a huge mm. catalyst for lots of people on their way in because just like you, they just listened to a man preach the cross, preach it unvarnished, and have have they had because we're already in nice guy evangelicalism mm-hmm. they had never heard someone just say i have no regard for how you're responding to me right right and so tell us yeah tell us a little bit about the you know you've just you've come in contact with these things and and what what happened next for you and so senior year of high school the last six months or so i would come home from classes have my work finished in like a half hour because i'm a, i'm a i'm a decent student um so and then i would just spend all of the afternoon into late at night just watching these videos binging these sermons pouring through my bible and, and renting books where I, I could find them i had been reading like you know max Licato devotional stuff and like stuff like that but now I'm getting like, now I'm like watching Vadi Bakum exposit Ephesians for four hours and just getting, getting the, the sanctification kicked into me. Right. And so I start, I start looking for where these guys are getting it because I'm seeing not that like these guys are compelling because they're strong speakers, because, because of their dynamic personalities. I think that a lot of these guys are popular because they do communicate it fairly well. And they communicate something that a lot of evangelicals like me were missing. But I think what convinced me most was that I would just read through books like Romans and say on every page, they got it dead on. And I had, I had led a high school Bible study years before through Romans. And by the time I got to chapter nine, I was like, now it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that God chooses who gets saved. Like that's that's crazy, right? It can't mean that. I don't know what it does mean, but it doesn't mean that. So that drives me down a rabbit hole into um, studying deeper theology and uh, generally Protestant and confessional theology. Now, at this point, I had been studying with the pastor of my church about becoming a leader in the church. And so I start looking at colleges in Illinois for, uh, for ministry. And I, I, I wanted to be a high school teacher. I come from a long line and a family of teachers. And so I have the teaching bug. I want to be a high school history teacher. And so I start looking for that. But also, like, I know that I'm called to serve in ministry in some capacity. I realized first that I can't pursue a training degree for full-time ministry and for teaching high school. Those two are just too big to do together. And so I, I feel the assurance like, oh, it has to be ministry then. That has to be where I'm going next because that's what I feel the weight of the calling and I can't reject it. Um, and I, I go to this, you know, this Wesleyan University which at this point I still hadn't studied theology enough to have those categories. Like I look at their one page long statement of belief that's like we believe in god and the trinity and jesus and being saved and i'm like yeah i believe those there's probably some secondary issues that don't really matter so i i go to this college and i'm there for the first week and meeting people and trying to get my bearings and looking for new churches and stuff um and studying to be for studying pastoral ministry as my major and I remember in the first week, there was a night where about half of our, probably a third of our floor 
in the apartments. So we have maybe 15, 20 guys in one room discussing theology at like two in the morning. Right. So I had just gone to a different guy's dorm and we were just talking. I think he was a, he, I found out he was a Presbyterian. He went to a PCA church. And so we start talking about theology and then another guy comes in and he grew up non-denom, but he sees what we're, what we're talking about in the Bible. Right. So he wasn't reformed. He wouldn't consider himself a Calvinist. But when we start talking about these things, he goes, yeah, that makes sense. That seems to be what the Bible is saying. And then we have over the next three hours or so, we have maybe a dozen Nazarenes and Pentecostals and Wesleyans of different varieties come in and start arguing with us about this stuff. And so it's 3 a.m. and we just keep going back and forth over the text over and over and over again. And it comes down to like a couple of these guys. There was a Methodist guy who's just said, I know that's what it says, but I just can't believe that. And so they leave. And so it really dawns on me that these aren't secondary. These aren't tertiary. These aren't just side things that we disagree with. This is like the very fundamental elements like the, the people that are teaching the theology classes at the school that I'm going to deny inerrancy. They, they explicitly reject sola scriptura and all of these things that come with it. And so my eyes start to be open to be like, wow, if, if the Bible's not our foundation, then there are so many places we go wrong so quickly. And so I start getting deeper. I start studying the Bible more and more and stepping it up even. And then I, you know, I, I hear people like James White and Vadi Bakum and Joe Thorne, who I would eventually become um, a friend of. We've gotten coffee sometimes. I attended his church. But I start hearing these guys talk about the London Baptist Confession. And I think if I want substance, if I want to be able to defend my faith, my position, I better at least know where I'm coming from. And so it just happened to be that on October 31st, 2017, the, the night of the 500th Reformation anniversary, I finished the London Baptist Confession after reading every chapter and looking up every proof text. And I say, I believe this is what the scriptures teach. <laughs> and so that was my, my confessional moment. And from then on, I've just gone deeper and, and worked to help other people in my community and in my church to see the depth and the beauty of confessional theology. Man, it's great to hear. It's uh, so many similarities to my story and many others. Uh, you know, we have grown up in this great time where uh, you aren't just stuck. You know, we, we talk sometimes about the, the damage of, you know, uh, being in a church and then finding these figures from outside of the church that, you know, then all of a sudden you're, you're criticizing your church based off that and how you really need to have a, a deep love and care for the local church uh, and not have this kind of idealistic, perfectionistic vision of what it should be based on these outside sources. But that is not to say that, you know, there's not huge benefit to the fact that, you know, no longer, uh, you know, there, there's this availability of material that, cannot be kept out by uh, different kinds of gatekeeping and things like that. So, you know, mm -hmm. here you are in this evangelical church and all of a sudden you're finding all of this information that maybe otherwise you would never have heard. And so right. it, it can break you out of that tradition and force you to get deeper into the scripture. And that is a great thing. Well, as we mentioned earlier, Luke um, records uh, the Steady Anchor podcast. You know, I just, I want to ask him a question, but I do want to commend something you're doing, Luke, right? You are, uh, as we've talked, right? You're, you're much younger, right? You're not in seminary yet. You know, I saw online, it looks like you were just accepted. Yes, sir. 
Well, what a, what an exciting thing. We, Michael and I pray that God will bless your future marriage studies and ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I think one thing that's really striking, you'll notice if you see his podcast feed, that maybe the, the last year he's been working through uh, the ecumenical councils and creeds. And I think that for a person who would be a, a very young theologian, this is a very wise place to go, right? There's a reason from all these Puritans, from all these theologians, from all these stripes, we have commentaries on the Apostles' Creed. We have discussions of confessions because when you are just cutting your teeth, this is a a much better place to start. But Luke, I wanted to ask you why for you personally, creedal Christianity, these early creeds, um, why, why they've become so important uh, for you? Mm-hmm. It kind of goes along with how my story has gone since then. One of my best friends now is actually the person who became my, my sharpening edge, maybe. So freshman year, my neighbor is friends with a guy who comes from a Pentecostal megachurch in Northern Illinois. And so I show him Calvinist, the movie by Les Lamphere, because I had just bought it. So I show it to him and he's like, well, that was hot garbage. <laughs> and so we become good friends, but debate about it basically every day, every time we see each other. And so I end up rooming with him and my neighbor and my friend from high school the next year. And so that was a whole year of arguing about theology. Almost every day, it's an argument about something. I continue to like challenge him and I'm super cagey about it a lot of times. I'll admit that, especially at the beginning. And he's kind of cagey Arminian. He's really learning about what Arminianism is just to refute Calvinism. In my search for understanding my own faith more, I, I wanted to keep going deeper because uh, in the church that I grew up at, if if you erased all of church history between the end, the closing of the canon and Billy Graham, the church would barely look any different. And so being able to start looking back through history and learning from the godly men and women who have come before us, who are much, much wiser than a 20-year-old college student, um, and seeing how this the theological formulations that had, that had come together in the Protestant Reformation were not just uh, were not just in modern inventions. They weren't novel. They were rooted in the historic teaching of the church, which teaches that the classical Christian theism, that God is self-sufficient. He is eternal, unchanging. He is perfect. He is all-wise, all-knowing. He is self-sufficient and sovereign. He is all-powerful. He brings to pass what he decrees. Um, which may be reading back through the lens of the Protestant Reformation, but I got it right. I think that looking through all the way back through the creeds and controversies of the church has helped me to further understand how biblically grounded what I currently believe is. So I started a lot of different ventures and stuff. In the middle of 2015, in August, I decided to start a podcast. I call it the Steady Anchor Podcast to reflect Hebrews 6, 9, which talks about Christ, who is the sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, who has gone before us into the veil, making a way for us to have communion with our Father, with our Creator, and to just to theme the show around being rooted in Christ and have him as our sure foundation, as our anchor in life, um, was what I wanted to go forward with in the show. And so obviously you progress as you do podcasting and stuff, you develop, you get a clear vision of what you want to do and where you want to go. And so we did, we dabbled in a couple of different topics for a while. Um, 
but then I got to the point where I really wanted to dig down deep into um, doctrinal discipleship, uh, learning who we are and what we're called to as followers of Christ that is informed by the truths that Christ and his scriptures teach us. Um, and so I started with the Christian creedal and confessional Christianity. Um, uh, so discipleship that is rooted in historic and basic orthodoxy, the truths of scripture and the, the apostles creed, the earliest confession of the church. And so we did, you know, 13 or 14 episodes on the apostles creed. And that was, that was big for me um, because that was not something I ever heard growing up right. uh, by God's grace. I met a pastor in town, my sophomore year, and became a member of his church, became an intern at his church, became discipled by him weekly and regularly, and uh, becoming a church member and seeing the responsibility and also the blessing of that has been a tremendous benefit to my spiritual life. You know, I think I've said this on the show, maybe, I'm not sure. I've certainly said it to Michael Wright that the first time I heard the Apostles' Creed, right, I described the church I grew up in as, right, it's like the apostles live, they write the Bible, 2,000 years of dark ages, mm -hmm. Billy Graham. Right. Like yeah, that's exactly that was if you were going to describe my after darkness light, that would have been my understanding of church <laughs> history. Yeah. I had a reformed pastor. I was saying, you know, I'm struggling to know if guys are believers and, you know, in my in the study I'm leading in college. And he goes, well, do you know if they believe the Apostles Creed? And I looked at him and I said, I don't believe that. That's for Catholics. <laughs> and and he he very graciously um you know, he shepherded me into a... I'm going to push uh, back on that there. Bro. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but Pastor Michael, uh, do, you, do you have any uh, thoughts on the importance of, of just creeds? I think one of the things that you have uh, kind of pointed out, and your whole story kind of shows this, uh, and this is, I mean, uh, your story of moving from evangelicalism to a more confessional faith is mm -hmm. this story of most of us, right? I mean, most of us in this, in this fold... Uh, and how much of that is just that uh, evangelicalism has an identity crisis, doesn't know what it is, who it is, what it's for. It's just it, it has no grounding. And, uh, you know, the Lord still uses it by his grace. But uh, this is why you see so many evangelicals walk away from the faith. Uh, I mm -hmm. once heard, I think it was uh, Hans Fien, the, the uh, Lutheran satire yeah. uh, guy, uh, he referred to evangelicalism as like a halfway house on your way to unbelief. Uh, yeah. And the church I, thought, I grew up at was down the church, down the street from the church that he pastored for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 No, it was great. I, I think that that's generally true. I think, or like we've even brought up here that, you know, often these evangelical churches become feeder churches for more, yeah. uh, more, uh, more doctrinally savvy churches, uh, or you have many evangelicals moving to uh, find some kind of tradition within Eastern Orthodoxy or yeah. Roman Catholicism. And uh, so the importance and necessity of the creeds, what I want to commend about what you've been doing, and and I find it helpful. I, I listened through a, a handful of your podcasts before this, uh, and what that does, what it can help do is it helps ground you right? Mm -hmm. it, it helps to uh, ground you in what you are. So one of the things I always say about creeds and confessions is, you know, obviously we believe that, you know, creeds and confessions, they can err, uh, right? You test everything mm -hmm. according to scripture, but what creeds and confessions do is uh, they're, it's, they're, they're a kind of tool. And what does a tool do, right? Like when you have a hammer, uh, when you're hitting that hammer, what you're doing is you're focusing all the energy from your arm into one point, 
and it allows you to do more than you could with just your arm, right? Uh, and so one of the things that creeds and confessions do is they help to focus uh, what the scripture does teach mm-hmm. and focus on the particular points, you know, for particular concerns because of particular controversies uh, that arise. And so uh, it's, if you want to build a house, you can't just go out with your arms and just build a house, <laughs> at least not a really secure one, right? You can yeah. maybe try to put something together that you can, you know, get out of some of the rain yeah. or something, but I mean, it's going to be a mess. Lincoln Logs is best you're going to get, right? Yeah, maybe <laughs> not even, right? Because you got to cut out those little divots in the Lincoln Log. <laughs> I mean, you just can't. Uh, but if you want to uh, actually build something, something that can you can inhabit, that you can live in, that can have many rooms and you can welcome other people into and you can, you know, you can uh, fellowship together, you can raise a family in. To, to do any of that, you need tools, right? You, you need mm-hmm. those kinds of tools. So, so I think it's really uh, a re- really important thing that you're doing. Let me, let me add one more thing, because as a reform guy, there's always something to add um, to, to what's been said. Is <laughs> yes. I do think the, the biblical richness, the importance, and I, I'll say just specifically about the early um, ecumenical councils, the early creeds, is Christianity. We are Christians, obviously, because God has acted in history to save us. And the greatest joy, then, is to know the triune God through Jesus Christ in the spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And that is what the early creeds are about. Knowing your savior and knowing the, the ineffable mystery that is the Trinity and, and, and digging through that. And so if you want to know God, if you want to know Jesus more, look at the work done by, you know, as, as Michael kind of, it's your, they're your forefathers. Look at your heritage. We might have some folks who are just, who are just the the lights might maybe for them are coming on on these kinds of ideas. Are there any uh, any starting resources you'd recommend? If you know, obviously, go read the Apostles' Creed, go read the Nicene Creed. But to help help them start, other than your own podcast, start thinking mm-hmm. through uh, some resources that might be helpful to them. I've been working through the different creeds and councils for the last year or so in my show, just because I think that that is it's really foundational. And like I was saying, like we started, we recite the Apostles' Creed at the church I go to, One Seven Church. We recite that before every time we take the Lord's Supper, which is something that would have been mind blowing to me, you know, as short as five years ago. But being able to dig through and even wade through some of the difficult language and stuff, being able to to find some compelling resources and helpful stuff to go along with you. So Ligonier, I think, does a very good job at being able to explain and introduce more complex theology at an understandable level. So books by people like R.C. Sproul, Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul, I think is one of the most compelling works about soteriology that I've ever read, that I know about. If you're really new to theology, like you're still just trying to get down basic Bible themes and stuff, I think Core Christianity by Michael Horton is also a great place to start. If you're looking to go deeper into your understanding of the church and its life, um, I would recommend Mark Dever's Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. I would also say that uh, Joe Thorne's trilogy, The Heart, The Life, and The Character of the Church, are fantastic and very readable. Maybe just to sum it up, search the scriptures and read deeply. Read uh, from a variety of backgrounds. Read early church stuff. Read the creeds and confessions. But above all, search the scriptures and be in a church that sh- that helps you to see the scriptures and helps you to search them as well. 
So yeah, that's all I got. Well, uh, I am, uh, I'm thankful that you came on the show, Luke. Uh, this has been really great. I'm also really impressed. You know, I listened to an episode that you did on Bible translations talking about uh, the King James version and King James only <laughs> and you didn't take one crack at this flat earth King James only Pentecostal family that you know has played such a poor part in this story. So uh, <laughs> I'm just impressed. That shows a lot of yeah. maturity. Yeah. We, I never yeah. want anything that I do to be vindictive. Like, yeah. you know, I, I had the meme page for a while and not all of that is was edifying. So it's, it's now transitioned into more of a, a verse and graphics page. Sure. It's now called doctrinal discipleship. We have a website as well where we post articles and reviews. So Hopefully it's it's more beneficial in the long term than just getting a good laugh every once in a while. Well, yeah, hopefully folks will be able to find you uh, either at Doctrinal Discipleship or the Steady Anchor podcast if they want to hear more. Thanks for coming on Restless. Actually, I'm going to do something here for the listeners who might be joining us from the Steady Anchor podcast. If you rate and review this show and you're the first person to contact us either via Facebook or email, which is restlesspodcasting at gmail.com and tell us you rated and reviewed us and came from Steady Anchor Podcast. We're going to send you, uh, yeah, we'll do one of these books that um, Luke uh, has mentioned as we're helpful. And so we're thankful you came on. We're thankful um, for the time. It was fun. We'll hopefully have you back another time. Uh, if there's any old uh, of any of those old clips you want to react to with us, we'd love to do it. So absolutely. Sure. So this, I guess, will just be a treat for you guys. But sure. One of the we'll put it things. out as bonus. Please, please do. <laughs> yeah, right. We love bonus um, material. So the two cagiest things I ever did. One was. Um, I, the the same guy who said that he couldn't believe in predestination, just he couldn't, even if the Bible said it. He once walked past the dorm that I was in with some friends and just yelled, predestination's a myth, just to rile us up, you know. And it worked because then I proceeded to follow him down the hallway, reading every verse that had predestination in it and was physically <laughs> dragged away by my other uh, friends. Um, and then the second probably oh, that's is- That's a good one. That is, uh, yeah. that's great. <laughs> Good times, very emblematic of my spiritual state at the moment. Um, but the second is probably touching Jeff Durbin's beard. Oh man, <laughs> so no doubt. My my neighbor, who then became my roommate, uh, did a summer internship with them, and the first time he went to visit, I went with him for spring break, and uh, my friend from high school who was also a roommate is one of the most impulsive people I have ever met. And so at the end of this conversation with James White and then Jeff Durbin, he goes, question, can I touch your beard? And he kind of laughs and Jeff's like, uh, sure, I guess. And so I just got to just, just feel a little bit. <laughs> is oh, that yeah, like so. grave soaking? Is that a like, little bit? Uh, I was picking we're... up the mantle and my yes, beard has right. gotten much thicker since then. So this is not going to hit the cutting room floor. That will that will be released <laughs> in some format. Even if I <laughs> even if I have to cut the episode a little differently uh, just to, to squeeze that in. That's, that's got to be yeah. in there. Oh, Whatever that's... works for you guys. I'm just yeah, glad so. you got a kick out of it. Thanks, Luke, for coming on the show. If you are listening for the first time as a Steady Anchor podcast listener, rate and review this show and send us a message. If you're the first one, we'll send you a book. Thanks, everybody. Catch us next week.